Welcome to the Mercy Commons podcast. Thank you for joining us today. We trust that the Word of God encourages you and that the Holy Spirit empowers you. Good morning, everyone. I'm ready. I don't have a cough button, so... I was just thinking this morning about the concept of, as Steph was uh, up here, the concept of the joy of the Lord is my strength. I think oftentimes we, we, uh, we put this weird pressure on ourselves to be joyful in order to be strong, but it's not our joy that is our strength. It's His joy that is our strength. And his joy is us. And so the sense of his affection and his love and his joy towards us is what strengthens us. Even if we are in a bit of a funk, even if we are battling with some major issues, there isn't the sense of God saying, you can fix this by being joyful. There's a sense of saying, look at me, at my face. There is a joy that flows from me an affection for you, that will strengthen you. Um, so that's not what I'm preaching on. I am... <laughs> we are in uh, week two of our Songs of Christmas series. And uh, last week, uh, Al did a great job in taking us through the first song of Christmas, which was Elizabeth's song. And uh, those of you that will remember... Uh, Elizabeth and Zechariah had wanted a child for a very long time, and uh, they, uh, Zechariah was in the Holy of Holies, and the angel Gabriel met him there, and he was unable to speak uh, because he, wasn't, uh, he, he couldn't believe that what the angel said would be true, uh, and so he was silent. And so what happened um, was a, a really kind of important picture, so I feel like we're taking off. Oh, okay. <laughs> Sorry, guys. I, I'm, I know. I'm easily distracted. I was, you know. Um, so, 400 years of silence is what the Israelites had experienced. And it's so unique in the sense that for 400 years, God had not spoken to the Israelites. And now, what had happened is that Zechariah was able to speak. And he was able to say that the name of this child was going to be John. And we know that that would be John the baptizer. The same angel that came to Zechariah that was uh, announcing John the Baptist's birth as the forerunner and the herald is the same angel that six months later comes for a very different context. And so we pick up in Luke 1 verses 26 to 38. And we'll only do that if I can get my glasses, because I am unable to read this anymore. I know, right? It's big enough on the screen. When Elizabeth was six months pregnant, God sent the angel Gabriel to Nazareth, a city in Galilee, to a virgin who was engaged to a man named Joseph, a descendant of David's house. The virgin's name was Mary. When the angel came to her, he said, Rejoice, favored one, the Lord is with you. She was confused by these words and wondered what kind of greeting this might be. The angel said, don't be afraid, Mary. God is honoring you. Look, you will conceive and give birth to a son, and you will name him Jesus. He will be great, and he will be called the Son of the Most High. The Lord God will give him the throne of David, his father. He will rule over Jacob's house forever, 
and there will be no end to his kingdom. Then Mary said to the angel, how will this happen since I haven't had sexual relations with a man? Now, as I said, Zechariah and Elizabeth were those that were longing for a child. Uh, They had prayed, there was expectation, they had waited, and their prayers were answered by the angel visitation. We covered this when I preached through Judges, that many times there were barren women throughout the history of Israel that had cried out to God in order to receive a child. Sarah, the wife of Abraham, Hannah, which happened to be Samuel's mom, and Samson's mom were all those barren wives that had cried out. Um, They had received an angel visitation, and they were told that they were going to be pregnant. But there's no precedent for what is happening here. This is completely unexpected. Mary is not married. She's not wanting a child, especially because she's not married. She happens to be engaged to Joseph. And so she's receiving something very unexpected. And with unexpected gifts come unexpected problems. I remember my, uh, my daughter went to a concert this week, and they were supposed to wake up really early. Who's gone to a concert and gone early and waited in line for the tickets, etc., cetera, etc.? Cetera? And, uh, and so she, she decided to wake up early and go and uh, make sure uh, that her expectation of getting what she wanted was met. Uh, about three years ago, we had a friend of ours from South Africa, Bronwyn, who was visiting here. And a young lady from the church decided to take her around and show her L.A. And I did get permission to tell the story, but I didn't get permission to use her name. Some of you will know who it is, though. Okay. And and so unlike Fallon, who had, like, woken up early and there was the sense of expectation that they were going to go to a concert, they happened to be in Union Station, and there was a pop-up John Legend holiday concert. They happened to be in the middle of it, and it was televised. And, and so they were on TV, and they were on the social media page, and they also got interviewed by, uh, by, the, uh, by the correspondent. And so the correspondent said to this young lady, hey, what did you do today? And she said, oh, we just came out here, um, and we just decided to hang out in Japantown. Japantown? Oh, I mean Little Tokyo. That's what she said on TV for everybody to hear. She said, I took my friend from South Africa so that we could eat in Japantown, not Little Tokyo. Unexpected gifts come with unexpected problems. And part of the challenge when Mary is receiving this unexpected gift, because God is saying to her, the angel is saying to her, hey, you're going to be blessed. This is going to be awesome. No one is reminding her that there are a number of challenges that she's going to face. And so you would expect her to say, great, let's go. Let's do this. But she, like us, asks for clarity. And the next verse, she says, and Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I'm a virgin or since I've not had sexual relations with a man? The angel replied, the Holy Spirit will come over you and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the one who is born to you will be holy. He will be called God's Son. Huh. Does that provide you with clarity? No. She's asking a specific question. She's saying, 
I am a virgin, I'm not yet married, how will this be? And the angel tells her something that she has no context for grasping. He basically says, it will be okay because the Holy Spirit will overshadow you. Now, this is a very complicated and dangerous situation for Mary. I want us to understand that she could have been killed by stoning. Because an immoral woman that was found to be pregnant, that was not married, could have been killed. Her family would forever be a pariah, and Joseph's family that was betrothed to her would also be set aside in the context of that community. Who will believe her? Who will understand this? She's asking for clarity. She didn't really get it. But instead of clarity, what she gets is courage. And in Luke 1.36, the angel says to her, Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive or barren is now six months pregnant. Nothing is impossible for God. Then Mary said, I am the Lord's servant Let it be with me just as you have said, or let it be to me according to your word. Then the angel left her. Mary got up and hurried to the city in the Judean highlands. She entered Zechariah's home and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard Mary's greeting, the child leapt in her womb, and Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. With a loud voice, she blurted out, God has blessed you above all women, and he has blessed the child you carry. Why do I have this honor that the mother of my Lord should come to me? As soon as I heard your greeting, the baby in my womb jumped for joy. Happy is she who believed that the Lord will fulfill the promises he made her. So here we have Elizabeth. Mary doesn't even say anything to her, but Mary's presence in that moment fills Elizabeth with the Holy Spirit, and she suddenly understands exactly what is happening to Mary, which adds courage to Mary, because we add courage to each other when we share with each other what God is conceiving in us. Mary has uh, this confidence as she walks into the room and she sees Elizabeth six months pregnant, exactly as the angel said she would do that. Elizabeth has this moment of revelation that when she sees Mary, and we we don't know exactly how far along Mary was, but we're pretty sure that there wasn't anything for her to see, Elizabeth for her to see, but she knows in that moment through the Holy Spirit what is happening. It's easier to give people courage when God is actively doing something in your own life. When, when, when God is conceiving something or birthing something in you, and you recognize that same thing happening in someone else's life, you can actually say, I know what's going on. God is at work. Now, there's lots of questions, and there's lots of difficulties, but I know what is happening because the same thing is happening to me. Now, we're not making it about ourselves. We, don't, we, we all know people that when you tell them a story, it's like, well, that's nothing. Listen to my story. I'm not talking about that. But I am saying that when we interact with each other in the context of a faith community, and and we hear stories of God doing something in someone else that is filled with uncertainties and difficulties, we're able to add courage to them by saying, and God is doing a similar thing to me, and God has done a similar thing for me. When uh, many of you will know that we struggled to have children. And one of the ways in which we add courage to people is when we pray for women to fall pregnant, if they want to, not like Mary, it's like, you know what I mean, if, do you want to fall pregnant? Yes, you know. Um, there's, a, there's a faith that rises up in Karen and I, not because we are great prayers, 
not because we are holy, but because we've seen what God has done. Not only in our own lives, but we've seen that as we've prayed for people, God has answered their prayers, and we're able to add courage to people. And we are also able to receive that kind of courage. We add courage to people because we can share their excitement and joy, even in the midst of uncertain and maybe even dangerous situations. Elizabeth says to Mary, happy is she who believes that the Lord will fulfill the promises He made to her. This is Elizabeth's way of encouraging Mary to trust God and have faith in His work. That is Mary's work in this moment. Just trust Him. Happy is she who believes that God will fulfill this. Elizabeth hasn't sat down and said, okay, this is how we're going to handle your parents. Don't worry, I'll take care of it. We'll tell them all about this. This is how we're going to handle the community. All Elizabeth says to Mary is, happy is she who believes that God will fulfill the promises that, we, that He has made her. We need to encourage each other in these kinds of contexts that our work is trust and faith and hope in the one that said He would do what He said He would do. This doesn't mean we can't sympathize. This doesn't mean we can't come alongside people with difficulties and add faith in those difficulties. But when the unexpected happens, we need to help each other remember the God that is in the midst of this unexpected event. We may not know the answers. We may not know what's going to happen. And all the difficult questions aren't answered by Elizabeth. But what Elizabeth has told Mary is, happy is she who believes that the Lord will fulfill the promises that He has made. I remember sitting in a parking lot with a friend of mine, and I was confused. I'd, I'd just come to faith, and I, I, I felt that God had called me to ministry. I didn't know what that meant. I didn't know what that looked like. As far as I knew what it was, is I would be part of this drama team that would go around the country and around the world, and I would tell people about Jesus. I remember sitting in the parking lot, I remember this friend of mine saying to me, I think that might be God. And it added courage to me. And I said to him, why do you think that could be God? He says, because not everyone wants to do that. And I'm like, not everyone wants to do that? And he's like, yeah, not everyone wants to do that. I think that might be God. And so he's adding faith to me. He's not saying to me, this is how you handle your dad, who's going to flip out when he hears this. And he did. He didn't say, this is what you're going to do for the next three years and complete your, your uh, course of study, even though it's going to be this burden that you feel is going to kill you. He didn't say to me, this is how you're going to live the rest of your three years working in Adcock Ingram's human resource department, wanting to burrow your eye out with a blunt pencil. <laughs> He's not going to tell me how to do that. But he, what he did tell me is this, I think God is in this. I don't know how it's going to happen, but I think God is in this. And he added courage to me. And I remember there were moments when that's all I could hold on to. And I'd look at this blunt pencil. And no, no, I wouldn't. I wouldn't actually. I don't know why it's blunt. But anyway, this is what it is. So it's in that moment where Mary is like, great. All the I's are dotted and the T's are crossed. We know what to do with my family. We know how to explain this. We know how to not be scandalized. No. It's in this moment where Elizabeth says to her, happy is she who believes that the Lord will fulfill his promises. Then something rises up in Mary, and Mary begins her song in verse 46. 
Mary said, with all my heart, I glorify the Lord, or my soul magnifies the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice, or my spirit rejoices in God my Savior. He has looked with favor on the low status of His servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored, because the mighty one has done great things for me. Holy is His name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors Him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled down the pow- sorry, he has pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things and sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. In this moment, Mary chooses to magnify God over her circumstances. In this moment, she chooses to declare things she knows to be true rather than focus on a lot of things that she must have questions about. In this moment, she chooses to settle her soul in God by declaring who He is. She says, He has done great things for me. He has not done anything for her other than complicate her life right now. Let's be honest, right? But she starts, and she says, He has done great things for me. She's saying that with a heart of faith and expectation, not with her eyes of reality. Because right now, things are very muddy and very smoky for her. But she starts, and she says, He has done great things for me. Seven times, she tells us what God has done. He has looked. He has done great things. He has shown great strength. He has scattered. He has brought down. He has filled, and He has helped. None of this has happened to her in reality. None of what she is expressing about God is her own personal experience. It's not current. It's not something that she can say, and I saw God do this. But what she does is she recalls 500 years of history of how God, more than 500 years, thousands of years of history of how God has dealt with Israel. And she said, because he's done that, because he's been faithful, because he's been powerful, because he's scattered, because he's gathered, because he's filled, I can trust him. I don't see any evidence of that right now. I see quite the opposite. I see quite a few problems. But because of who I know God to be, I will choose to magnify God above my current situation and above my experience. This song is called the Magnificat. It's basically the idea that she's magnifying the Lord. Now, when you magnify God, God doesn't get bigger. We all know this. We've been to school, right? When you take the magnifying glass away, like now, it's, yeah, it's the same size. It's just that I can see it better. But the idea of magnifying God is this is that you magnify God in order for God to fill your vision. And as God fills your vision, the peripheral begins to fade as God comes into clearer clearer focus and perspective. So there isn't the sense in in which suddenly God becomes greater or bigger. He is who He says He is. But in our minds, as we set our mind to magnify Him, and she does so through song, He is magnified in our souls. Now, this is an important thing. This is an action of the soul. This is an action of the heart. This is not an action of the mind. 
Because remember, none of these things have actually happened. And in faith, she's saying that because you've done this, you will be faithful to me. Paul tells the Ephesian church something very similar. When he says, this is my prayer for you. My prayer for you is that the eyes of your heart will have enough light to see what is the hope of God's call, what is the riches of His glorious inheritance among the believers, and what is the overwhelming greatness of God's power that is working amongst us as believers. This power is conferred by the energy of God's powerful strength. When God gets bigger in our view, when we intentionally magnify God, then other people and other circumstances and other trials get smaller in our view. Now, do they magically go away? They don't. Because Mary had to go home. Joseph needed to figure out, was he going to divorce her? There was this whole problem that they had in the context of their community. It hasn't got smaller. The problem is not any less difficult, but our view of God is made larger so that our faith is elevated and we're able to gain perspective on our trials. So if it settles our soul, it gives perspective to our trials. If I was Mary in this situation, I would have a list of what I wanted Gabriel to do. I'd be like, great, thank you. This is what I need you to do. I need you to go to my parents, and I need you to appear to my parents, and I also need you to appear to that busybody gossip in our city and tell her what you told me so that when I tell them the story, I can be believed, number one. Number two, is it possible that if I have this child, we can time it so that I am married and so that the child will have no sense of disgrace connected to it. That's a suggestion. We can maybe put a pin in that. I don't know. You know, why don't you go ask the guy who sent you? That's, that would be my perspective. What does Mary say? Let it be to me as you have said. Now, a lot of people think, well, I don't know, you know, she's like a 13, 14, 15-year-old girl. In those times, that wasn't weird. That's how young she was, betrothed to be married. And maybe she just didn't know what, what was going to happen. I'm pretty sure she understood exactly what this was going to mean for her life and for her family. And yet she says to the angel, because I know who God is, and because I've seen him move with power and authority, maybe not in my life, in this moment, 400 years of silence, God had been silent. No one had seen God do anything like what she was calling out that God had done. But because I know who you are, I'm willing to trust you. Shame, scandal, danger are still present. She examines her situation, and yet she says, God, I choose to trust you. You know, sometimes when God moves in our lives, things get messier. And we always think when God is going to do something dramatic, God is going to move in our lives, then everything just kind of lines up and falls into place. I remember when I went back to school, 2015, I, um, I said to God, okay, I'm going to go back and get my master's if, if I don't need to pay a cent for it. And so um, I received a scholarship. Now, listen to the scholarship. You guys will think I'm crazy. Listen, the scholarship was called the North American Scholarship Fund. It was for men that are over 40, that are married, that have children, that are currently in ministry. Right? They hadn't given that scholarship away in years. 
that's how I met Alfred. Is Alfred here? Alfred was like my admissions counselor. That's, that's how I met Alfred. In that moment, and he says, I don't, know, I don't know what's happening. He says, I really would like to meet you. I'm like, why? He says, well, because the guy we gave the scholarship to, so I didn't initially get it. They, I mean, how, what is the likelihood of two guys being able to get that scholarship, right? The guy we gave the scholarship to was about to um, kind of come to class or uh, be registered, but he decided not to. And so we're going to you know, offer you the scholarship. And I was like, I think God might be in this. You know, I think God might be in this. And my life did not become easier. My life got very complex. For that first semester, on Monday, I was there from 7 in the morning until 9 in the evening. We had just planted Southlands Fullerton. It was an incredibly busy time in my life. And I remember my wife and my kids would often remind me when I didn't want to do my assignments, when I didn't want to do all this extra work, they said, just remember how you got here. Just remember how kind God was. Just remember how extraordinary this was. And I was like, I don't care how extraordinary it was. This is hard. This is exhausting. This is difficult. And that's our challenge. Because we are often in a space where we know that God has been in this. And we're tired and we're exhausted. And that amazing thing that happened, whatever it was, fades in our memory. And we need other people to add courage to us and say, do you remember? Do you remember what happened when that angel visited you, Mary? Do you remember, Nick, what happened when you got that? Do you remember when you prayed for this child? Do you remember when you prayed for this job? Do you remember how God was faithful? He will continue to be faithful. We look at ourselves in a different way when we magnify God. In verse 48, she says, He has looked on the humble estate of His servant, for behold, from now on all generations will call me blessed. Now this is a little awkward because what we've done through art and culture and even through some bad theology is we have elevated Mary. And so there's the sense in which Mary was chosen because she was sinless, and there was something very, very um, holy about her. No, she was a teenage girl from Nazareth. So these are the photos that, I mean, these are the paintings, Rochelle's painting. Do you notice something? Who seems more afraid? <laughs> right? The angel seems like he's afraid of Mary. This is, this is something that is in our collective consciousness. This is Mary at the Annunciation with Gabriel. And that's, in our minds, how we've pictured it. It's probably more like this. It's probably more like her, sitting there thinking, what the heck is happening? What is going on? And so, in our minds, we have to undo this thing of the reason that this happened to Mary and the reason that God visits people in specific ways and in clear ways and does dramatic things is because they must somehow be worthy of his visitation. That's not true. Mary was moral. She was brave. She was humble. We know that after the fact, but she was not sinless. Dietrich Bonhoeffer says this, God is not ashamed of the lowliness of human beings, God marches right in, just like He did in this circumstance. He chooses people as His instruments and performs His wonders where one would least expect them. God is near to lowliness. He loves the lost, the neglected, the unseemly, the excluded, the weak, 
and the broken. Now, humility helps us see our need of a Savior. There was not the sense in any moment where Mary's like, I was wondering when you were going to get here. It's about time. There was the sense in which she was profoundly humbled by the fact that God would meet her in that moment. Again, when we look throughout biblical history, there was nothing impressive about Abraham. What do you know about Abraham? It says, God chose him. We know that David was pretty unimpressive when it came to his brothers, but we know that God chose him. We also know that as this baby grows up to be a man, we know the fulfillment of Isaiah's scripture that says there was nothing in him to draw him to us. There was nothing special about him. And so God takes pleasure in using the low and the humble. Now, this doesn't mean that we walk around racked with guilt and shame. God's mercy is not more on us if we, if we decide to add our own kind of weight of guilt and shame. No. This means that we don't have an overestimated opinion of ourselves or an underestimated opinion of ourselves. I am God's child because of the grace of Jesus Christ. That is who I am. And because of that, He chooses to be with me. When we magnify God's mercy, there's so much joy that comes to our lives because we no longer have to justify ourselves or our existence. We no longer have to guard our reputation we no longer have to guard our good name. I've said this before, it bears mentioning again. There is a massive difference between being unworthy and worthless. And we know that we are unworthy to receive God's love because we're broken and sin, but we're not worthless. Because the incarnation of Jesus into the womb of this teenage bride shows us that we are worthy because He came to pursue us, to be with us. We are worth more than we can imagine. We are not worthy of His love. And that's who He is. You know that song, Mary, Did You Know? Mary, Did You Know? I'm not going to sing it. I don't know. No, no, don't, don't, oh, don't even pretend. Like, so there's this song, Mary, Did You Know That Your Son Would Walk on Water? Mary, Did You Know That He Would Save Your Sons and Daughters? And so there's, you know, there's this kind of poetic thing of like, well, how much did Mary know? And when I heard that song, I'm like, she knew. The angel told her. She knew. You know, that's, she, she did know. Like, the angel was pretty clear about that. But even though I'm not sentimental, um, there is this sense in which I'm sitting there thinking, how much did she really know? Um, because she didn't necessarily know that he would walk on water. She did know that somehow he would save his people but nobody knew just how that would happen. John the Baptist, when he was in prison, questioned Jesus and said, you know, are you the one? I mean, this is the herald. This is the messenger. This is the man whose job it is to say, that's the one. And then he's sitting in prison saying, are you the one? Maybe they should write a song about John, you know? Is he the one? I don't know, you know? Oh, John, did you know? I don't know, whatever, you know? Mary's song shows us that in broad strokes, she knew what Jesus would do. But at the same time, just like everybody else, she had such a limited idea. She knew that he would scatter and gather. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has 
pulled the powerful down from their thrones and lifted up the lowly. And just as God had done throughout history, and Mary understanding that through the history of the Israelite people, he would gather his people and he would scatter their enemies. What I don't think she realized is that God would gather his people from the context of Abraham, all of his people, not just the Jewish nation, and would gather them under his throne of grace and mercy where he would scatter the enemies of sin, of death, and of Satan. I don't think she knew that. Very, very few people knew that. Even until Pentecost, people didn't recognize that that's what was happening. But she did have this glimpse that Jesus would scatter and would gather. She also knew that he would show mercy. Verse 50, he shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him. And we can't show mercy without justice because justice and mercy go hand in hand. So how would justice be fulfilled and mercy be shown? And in those days, there would be the sense of which, okay, I understand what scatter and gather is. We're going to bring down Herod. We're going to bring down the Roman government. And then Jesus himself is going to sit on that throne. That's not what happened. I know what justice is going to be. All the Romans that have oppressed us and all the sellouts that have oppressed us, we are going to put them in jail. No, that's not what justice is. A price needed to be paid. And Jesus would pay that price with his broken body and with his blood. And because justice was paid for, mercy could be extended. And so she is right, but just maybe not in the way in which she thinks. That Jesus is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. In verse 54, he says, He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised our ancestors. And this is key here because she doesn't say Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. She goes back to Abraham and she says, just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham and to Abraham's descendants forever. In that moment, the Holy Spirit helps us understand that Jesus' sacrifice, the fact that he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets, is not just the fulfillment of the Messiah for the Jewish nation, but he is the fulfillment of the law and the prophets for all of humanity to receive the justice and mercy of God in Jesus Christ. He would be king and Messiah, but not in a worldly way. He would bring a new kingdom, but this would be the beginning of the upside-down, back-to-front kingdom. How? Because even though there have been many babies born to be kings, there was only one king that was born as a baby, and that's who Jesus was. Band, you can come up. Did she know he would suffer and die? I don't know. Did she know that she would see him carrying his cross? Did she know that she'd be sitting with John and Jesus would look down from the cross and he would say to John, John, behold your mother, mother, behold your son. Did she know that? I know she never expected him to come back to life. No one expected that. But I know in that moment, what she did know is that he would save her people from their sins. And not just her people, but all people. Just like Mary 
The promise exists for all of us that call ourselves followers of Jesus, Christians, whatever you may call yourself if you've placed your faith in Jesus Christ. Because just like Mary, God has seen you. Just like Mary, God has been merciful to you. Just like Mary, God is present in your situation even though your situation is difficult and tiresome and dangerous. And just like Mary, He will provide for you. So maybe this morning you need courage because you know God is doing something in you, but you're not sure what's happening. It's unfamiliar. It feels unsafe. And you need someone to remind you, I think this is God. I think God is doing something here. Maybe you need Jesus to gather the disconnected parts of your soul. Those parts, like we said this morning, that are just scattered over this time. And the gathering that he's going to do is is going to bring you this sense of wholeness and scatter your enemies. In Advent, we talk about the four things that Advent, the four things that Advent represents. So maybe this morning you're struggling just with a sense of anxiety. And Advent represents peace for us. Maybe you're struggling with a sense of cynicism or ambivalence and Advent represents hope. Maybe you're struggling with hatred or division in a time where we should be focused on love. Or maybe this morning there's a sense of what Steph was talking about, just this moroseness, this, this sense of depression, you're finding this darkness. And, and this idea of joy and the joy of the Lord being our strength feels more like a whip than it does some sense of solution or joy. Maybe this morning what we need to do is just magnify Jesus above any person in our lives, above any circumstance in our lives, above a bunch of unknowns in our lives. What we need to do is just look at him and say, Jesus, I want to fill my soul with the magnificence of who you are. Let's pray. Jesus, during this time where where we really try and intentionally slow down with a heart of expectation to freshly experience the joy, the love, the peace, and the hope that you say is found in you. And I want to pray for my brothers and sisters. I want to pray, God, where there is anxiety, where there is anger or hatred, depression, I want to pray, my God, in the name of Jesus, that as we, as we choose to magnify you in the midst of our circumstances, we choose to remember <laughs> who you are. That will never change. God, we want to come and behold you. You are a holy God. Come and minister to your people this morning. The band is um, going to continue to play. But I uh, want to make available to you, to my left, to your right, maybe just just kind of hang with me just for a second. Um, if this morning you need courage, Maybe there is something that you're processing through and you feel like God is 
bringing direction to you and there's things that are kind of fearful and you need courage, I want to encourage you to receive prayer. Maybe, maybe you need the enemy of your soul to be scattered in your life right now. Maybe you're dealing with things that feel extremely anxious. Um, you, uh, you need the Lord to show up and you need to be reminded that he is the one who scatters the work of the, en- the enemy, death, and sin. I want to encourage you to receive prayer. And if you need anything else <laughs> to, to receive prayer this morning, as the band continues to play, I'm going to release you officially. Parents, you can go pick up your kids. The rest of us are going to be hanging out back. But I do want to encourage you. It feels like this morning that there is something that God wants to do for people. Um, and if that's you, that you need prayer, receive prayer. Um, receive it. Let's go out there and be the church. Thank you for listening to the Mercy Commons podcast. If you enjoyed today's content, please rate us and hit subscribe. And if you'd like to learn more about us, visit our website at mercycommons.church.